I'd like for you to open your Bible this morning to the book of Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. I'm going to title the message today, The Times of Refreshing. The Times of Refreshing. I don't know what you contrast refreshing to. What is not refreshed to me would be something that's despondent, down, sad, maybe something without any good outlook for tomorrow, any hope for today. If that's a good way of contrasting the two, then the world is full of people that need to be refreshed. I mean, literally full of people. The church is full of people who need to be refreshed. We'll define it a little bit better in a minute. Who need to be invigorated. Who need to be brought above all the fray of this world and find something that's bigger than life that they can trust in. Something that you count on. Something that gives you hope. Refreshing. Too many people are sad and despondent. Too many people are. Too many people have a bad outlook. Not bad people. It's just that they don't really know what to do in life. That's pretty sad because a lot of them go to church. And it shouldn't be like that with us. It should not be, but it is. But we want to try to remedy that. Now, in Acts chapter 3, we were there last week. We're going to look at it again. Same verse this morning. Repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Now, many commentators take this to be a future event when Jesus comes back and that when Jesus comes back, then this time of refreshing will come. But I'd call your attention to the fact it doesn't say a time of refreshing. It says times, plural. It's an ongoing refreshment. It doesn't just happen once like, well, I got saved. Now I'm refreshed. No, It begins there, but it keeps going. It's intended to be like that. And besides, if it's what I think it means, there's times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. His presence is here now. When he introduced himself to you and began to show you the awfulness of your life, the sinfulness of your nature. The Bible says we are all by nature the children of disobedience. We never saw it that way. We were having too much fun, and we were too cool and had it all figured out. But one day, the Bible says it's the goodness of God in Romans 2 that leads you to repentance. And one day in your life, not because you asked for it, not because you wanted it, but one day God began to invade your mind and your thinking. See, the word repent is a mental word. It comes from a word that has to do with the mind. Half of it does. You see, the word repent is to change your mind, essentially to change your mind. Because your mind directs your life. How you think is how you act. And everybody in here is what you are because of the choices you've made in life, every one of us. A lot of us made some good choices. A lot of people make bad choices. It's tragic when bad choices Rule your life. Some people can't get away from drugs or can't get away from habits. That's a choice they make. You live by choices. And so, because it's a choice, God comes to your mind. 
Remember the word godly sorrow in 2 Corinthians 7 brings repentance not to be sorrowed of? There you are in the time of cool. You are the, about the grandest thing that ever happened to life. And then God begins to show you how you are in his sight. How all your actions and your deed and your choices are evil. Because they have nothing to do with him. You have put yourself on the throne of your life and give him no room. And you live like life is all about me. And he begins to show you that. If he doesn't, you'll never see it because you'll talk yourself out of it. But God begins to show you your nature. Only he can do this. Repentance is an act of grace on God's side. He begins to show you things that if he doesn't show you, you'll never recognize your sinfulness and you'll never see your need to repent, to turn away from this stuff. But when he does open your eyes and you do begin to see yourself like he sees you, for the first time maybe in your life, you begin to feel shame and sorrow. What's the purpose of it? Godly sorrow is godly sorrow. Sorrow from yourself towards God. I am so ashamed of myself. Oh, God. I'm a terrible person. All the stuff that I did, I did because I wanted to. The times in church I told jokes, I did it because I wanted to. The times I stayed away from church when I'm professing to be a Christian, I did it because I wanted to. There's something still corrupt in my life. God shows you that. He shows you that for one purpose. He won't make you repent, but he shows you that so you can repent. And you begin to see yourself as God sees you. And then the shame and the sorrow and the grief and the remorse and the disappointment of how deceived you've been about yourself gives way to, to repentance. And you open your mouth and out of your mouth comes the words, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I am ashamed of myself. Like that man that went into the temple, he couldn't even so much as lift up his eyes to God. He wasn't worthy of that. Not even doing that. And all he could do was bow his head and ask for mercy. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. His heart was broken. A contrite and a broken heart, God doesn't despise that. Because it results in you taking a good, strong look at yourself. And what you really aren't. All your religion, look at yourself. Look at yourself. You're still embarrassed to pray in public. For your food. You don't have to make a big deal out of that, but I mean, something's lacking in your life. But when you do repent, when a person does bow his heart to God and confess, you can't confess all your sins. You don't remember all of them, but you can confess to him that you're a sinner. You're sinful. You're corrupt. I have no hope but God. And you bow your heart to God and you pray and you repent. And today repentance is reduced to nothing more than the raising of the hand, a coming forward. And yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, I want to be saved. There's no sorrow, no remorse. And if you look at the pattern of people's lives, so many of them in the church, there's no change of their life. Because you see, conversion is change. As one, you change your mind to be converted is you change your direction. 
you turn around. As the Bible says, you begin to walk in a different direction. We call it the newness of life. New things come into your life, not all at once, but little by little. God shows you just piece by piece things for you, again, to think about in your mind because your mind is your problem. All those patterns of thought you learned in the world, all those reactions and all those opinions and those anger and hateful attitude, all of that stuff is in there. God brings you to church and the entrance of his word begins to identify more and more in your life. That's not right. Repentance just like the times of refreshing just keeps going. It just keeps going. You begin to repent of this and you begin to change air and your mind begins to be renewed. You're breaking down barriers and all these things the devil has built in your life. Remember the weapons of our warfare, not carnal, they're mighty through God to the what? Pulling down of strongholds. They weren't just pulled down when you got saved. It's a process. It's a walk. It's a life. And it stays that way until it's over. Because when you turn away from your sins and you turn to God, new things must begin to happen. Because God takes away the old and puts something new in your heart. You get a new heart and a new spirit. You also gain the mind of Christ. You have your old mind, for sure, that has to be changed. But you've got a new way of thinking that's in you. Something has happened to you on the inside. And your conversion is a willingness, a willingness in your life to live in the way God wants you to live. Now, the key is focus. You see, when you're saved, we call it being saved. When we're converted, when we're turned around, one thing is essential, necessary for everybody who confesses they've been turned around and I'm saved. And everybody goes to church, confesses that. The essential thing is that Jesus must become the focus of your life. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold what? All things become new. Now, what is the purpose of God giving us new things. Is it not to lead us in a new direction? Do not all of these new things which are brought to us, maybe we hear a sermon and it's something that's better than you've ever known it. Uh, you know, God will supply all of your needs. Well, I don't know about that. Well, or God will bless you as you go out and bless you as you come in. I don't know about that. Well, but it's true. And it's new. You heard it before, but it never meant anything to you. Now that you've turned around and God is reorienting your life, you're seeing it the way he wants you to see it. He won't make you live that way. He gives you an opportunity to. You can prove yourself. You begin to see things that are new. And what these new things do, brothers and sisters, is inspire your faith give you something to believe because what he shows you hasn't happened yet. It's only promised. But all of his promises are yes and amen. Now you have an opportunity here to embrace that promise and count on God to do that for you, even though it looks like it's not going to happen. 
because faith calls those things that be not as though they are. And so you live believing something that hasn't happened. Like in the book of Hebrews, it says that Moses endured as seeing him who's invisible. How do you do that? Well, you have faith. That's what the whole chapter is about. You believe what is said. You never believed before. You know, as a Christian, you believe in the stone was rolled away. Jesus walked on the water, turned the water into wine, born in a manger. I mean, you believe stuff like that. Those are stories you heard all your life. But now what you're believing is changing your life. It's given a sense of direction to your life because this new life you're living, the newness part is because of the revelation of Jesus Christ in your life. And you're living in a world that has no revelation of Jesus. You can look at how people act and how people think their dependence on drugs and fun and experiences and being cool. That's all they've got. They have no revelation of Jesus because Jesus comes to deliver you from the consequences of all that stuff. And if he doesn't, that'll rule you and it'll own you. So here we are living a converted life. Repent and be converted, we said last week that your sins may be blotted out, removed, wiped away, pardoned. We want to use that word. No longer is there anything that is held against you. Lord, I've done some pretty raunchy stuff in my life. I've, here I am preaching to these people, and I'm worse than all of them, worse than any of them. Of course, I said, no, you weren't, didn't you? Thank you. And I realize that even though the devil gives you flashbacks, you remember that time you did it? Remember that time you, remember that time y'all were having this? And I'm thinking, you know what? While I can't prevent my mind from recalling that stuff or from the devil trying to throw that back at me, what I can do to counter that is that I have been forgiven all that stuff. None of that will be held against me anymore. I am delivered by the power and the love of the Almighty God. I'm free. And that's a wonderful thing because your sins are blotted out. Because those things happen in order that the next thing, what we're talking about today happens. Your sins may be blotted out. That, I would rather say it so that, the times of refreshing, times plural, as I said earlier, not something that happened once, but something that comes into your life and continues. Times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Now, the first thing that happens is the presence of the Lord because the presence of the Lord is required to have the refreshing. There's no program a church can ascribe to that can bring refreshing. You got to have Christ. Again, the focus is back on Jesus. You've got to have him. He's the one. In him we live, and in him we move, and in him we have our being. I can do all things through Christ. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. It's all him. 
Jesus told the Pharisees once, he said, in John 5, he said, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. He said, well, they testify of me. All the types and shadows in the Old Testament pointed to Christ. And now that you're a Christian, you've been converted. You've turned around. You're looking at a new life, which you're not even sure you can do this because faith is a little fuzzy in the beginning. Oh, man, I... Oh, no. But as you begin to take those baby steps toward the Lord and feed on the word, the milk of the word, you begin to grow and you begin to embrace more because God gives you a little more and you begin to take in more and he gives you a little more. You begin to experience this new life. Little by little, you know, piece by piece, you begin to experience this new life. But he said again in in verse 19 there, he said that the times of refreshing may come. Let me ask you a question. I don't know how you all here define your life. I don't know how you measure yourself in light of what you're hearing. I don't know. But at the times of refreshing have come. And they come because of the presence of the Lord. Are you experiencing refreshing in your life? Are you living a refreshed life? Or is it still dull and dismal? Are you still wondering why you and how come and I, are you? you still kind of complain or moan to yourself? I don't mean to other people, but sometimes while you're alone, well, Lord. Or can you say, I am so glad that it's not the, the hills I look to where all those idols are. That's not where my help is. My help comes from the Lord. He has made me sad. He, no, it's glad. And he has made me glad when? As often as I want to deal with it. In the morning. When I get up in the morning, my feet get to running. I get to praising the Lord. I raise my hand and shout to the Lord. Hallelujah. Is that possible? The word refresh or refreshing, the illustrator Bible calls it a medical term. It was used to describe the healing effect when people that were infirm were brought into a nice cool place if they were wounded or something and let the natural healing processes take place and and the cool air was refreshing. That's good. I like that. I like the idea of being refreshed. I like the idea of having a giddy-up-and-go, giddy-up-and-going. Every day feel good. To every day think good. To every day be able to act good. To know that I have something to look forward to, something that I can count on, that somebody whom I've never seen loves me, cares about me, and is doing wonderful things in my life. I've never heard an audible voice. I've never had any kind of a physical touch. But the entrance of his word, something about just wanting to know more is doing wonderful things in your life. And when a situation comes up in your life and you pray about it and you quote the Bible, Lord, you said, you put him in remembrance, as Isaiah said, Lord, you said, and then he does it and you go, oh, wow. Oh, boy, I found a new way of living. I never saw that happen before. Wow. 
and you find yourself walking in health and safety? Wouldn't you like to live the rest of your life saying that I've had no need for medical attention in 50 years? Would you like that? It's a choice. That doesn't make you a better Christian than somebody else. It's just something that's offered. Not everybody is able to grasp that, but it's offered anyway. But refreshing, the times of refreshing. The Bible said it comes from the presence of the Lord. That's our focus. Now, what does presence mean? Would you look with me at, at this one? Go back to the very beginning about Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. Presence. In thy presence we sing the song. There is what? In the presence of the Lord there is. Let me ask you a question. It still was getting poetic here. What does presence mean to you? I know the Bible is often translated, you know, it's a face. It's face-to-face. -face. It's you and him. It's fellowship. It's presence. He's there. His presence is there. That would mean that by definition, if God's presence is with you, it means that what he can do is also with you. Didn't he promise I'll never leave you nor forsake you? Isaiah said he has graven you on the palms of his hands. Didn't he say that? That no man can snatch you out of his hand in John 10? That he has made secure his hold on your life? Well, you got to think that way. You can't just read it and say, well, that's good, because you may not experience that. But if you believe it, it really does work. Now, he said in Exodus chapter 33, he said, my presence shall go with you. Remember that part? Moses had said, the next verse, I think he said, if your presence isn't going with us, we don't want to go. Does he say that? Okay, so there was something to Moses significant about Moses' need for God because Moses was looking at a situation, we won't go into all of it, that he could not handle. It was over his head. But God said, I'm here. Now here, my definition. If God is here, nothing is too hard, nothing is over your head. You have an assurance that God will go with you and bring you through this. No temptation has taken you to such as common man. God is faithful who will what? Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you're able. And God will with the temptation provide a way of escape. I don't care what the devil's trying to do. I don't care what kind of methods the devil's trying to employ to run you down and defeat you. God's bigger. And if his presence is with you, he's bigger. And he's only there because he has called you out of darkness, out of that miry clay, and made you his child. And he's with you. And he wants you to know that where I am and what I've called you to do, and you walk with me, you can do it. You don't ever have to give up. In verse 14, God said, my presence shall go with thee and what? All right, now let's take the word refreshing. And rest. Now, let me ask you a question. Is it possible, you may not know, and we're just preaching right now. 
Is it possible there's a connection between these words? Just think about it. I'm not saying there is. I'm not saying there isn't. But God said concerning his presence that brings the refreshing in Acts 3, he also said to Moses, my presence shall go with you in a really difficult situation. And I'll give you rest. Now, Moses, you may have to fight. You may have to spend some time dealing with some things. It doesn't mean that living this life changes and you can just go to bed all the time and lay in bed. That's not the kind of rest he's speaking of. But he said, while you're engaged in the fights of this life, I will, in the midst of those fights, give you rest. I need that. I need that. I need to be able to sit on the side of my bed and not wait for the other shoe to drop and wonder what's next. I need to know that God is the one in whom I can cast all my care. He cares for me, doesn't he? If I can cast all my care on him and he wanted me to, then there's nothing I'm going to cast on him that he doesn't inspire me to cast on him. I'm not to walk around weary and heavy laden. That's whom Jesus described as people who need refreshing. He said, come to me. I'm your presence. I am he. You come to me. I'll give you a chance. I'll show you how. I'll tell you why. I did that to start the message. Now, come to me. I'm available. I'm here. And I will receive you. And when I do, I will give you me. You will give me you, I'll give you me. We will be in you, and I'll be in you. You'll be in me, and I'll be in you. You'll be mine, I'll be yours. It's a union that we're going to have, the indwelling Christ. And when you do, you're never without help. You're never without hope. You never have to give up. You never have to turn back. You never have to throw in the towel. You never have to say, it's all over. Because I am with you. I am with you. And I will give you rest. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Isn't it nice to know that he's with you? Do you know it? Now, see, it's one thing for us to know academically. Yeah, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. That's one thing. But to know it by experience, that God will give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, to know him. Jesus said, come to me and know me, all you that are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you what? I'll give you rest or you shall find Rest for your souls. Huh. It sounds like there might be a connection here. I will give you rest for your souls. How's this going to work? Let's see if we can define this and bring it into focus. In John chapter 14, I'll ask you to go back there too. I want you to follow me and don't 
Well, he's just making all that up. Well, actually not. John chapter 14, look at verse 17 and verse 18. Now, to make real, I don't want to get dramatic. I tend to because I try to make a point. But for God, for his presence to be real to you so that you don't doubt it and you begin to depend on it, him, not it, but him. God does something uniquely New Testament for people like us. Listen to this, John 14 and verse 17. Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. He said, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it can't see him. It can't know him because he doesn't talk to them the way they're used to being talked to. They have no physical contact with God. Therefore, they don't know him. But he said, the spirit of truth, he said, you know him. Now get these words, for he dwells where? With you. He means the spirit, and he shall be where? In you. So the presence of Jesus was there. Now he told them later on, he said, I'm going to go away, didn't he? but I won't leave you orphans. He said, when I go away and that presence that you depended on has kept you all. He did call 12 men to follow him. I don't know if they had families, bills to pay or whatever, but they didn't lack following him. None of them said, I can't afford to follow you. I got bills to pay. None of them. They gave up boats and businesses that they followed him. And none of them lacked. He even told them one time, he said, when I sent you out without anything, do you have anything now? They all said, yeah. None of them lacked. Because one of the things that his presence will do, you walk with the Lord, you don't have to take thought anymore for how you're going to make ends meet. You do your job, you'll work and so forth. But God will take care of that. You can rest. You don't have to fret yourself anymore. You don't have to, oh, wring your hands. What am I going? You don't have to do that anymore because blessed assurance that if he said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he'll make it good. God hasn't asked us to do anything we can't do. He just said, trust me with all your heart and what? Lean not to what got you in trouble. Your own understanding. That's man's wisdom. Man always has come up through history with a way of redefining God. He likes to think, well, you know, God said that, but this is what he meant. No, what he said is what he meant. Man likes to think that he's figured out because he wants to be a God himself, a little God. He doesn't need church. He doesn't need all that stuff because he, he's figured it all out. But he said, when the Spirit comes, he said, I will not leave you comfortless or an orphan, but he said, I will come to you. Did Jesus say he would come to us? Did he also say that when he went to the Father, he would send the Spirit? But then he also said, I will come. Are we talking about the same things here? 
I'd say so. Would you agree with me that if the Spirit of God has come and he has come in you, that the presence of God is in you? And that if you will depend on that presence, count on that presence, learn of that presence, you'll find rest to your souls? That your testimony to those about you will be good? You'll live a refreshed life? Like Peter said, if any man asks you a reason of the hope that is within you, why would anybody ask us a reason of the hope that is within us if we grumble like they grumble? But it's when you don't grumble anymore. You don't see a need to do that anymore. I don't want to listen to all these talk shows where they teach you to be negative. I don't need to be contrary and opinionated and ugly acting and I'll tell you what, I don't need that. That's the way I was, not the way I should be. That's what makes people think, what is it about you? Why are you always having a little bit of cheer? Should we have cheer? What, the Lord's in us? What does he say? In the presence of the Lord? Say joy. There's joy forevermore. There's something here that we really need. We've probably learned about it, but I don't know if we've grasped it all or not. Now, he said in Acts chapter 1, you don't have to turn to this, chapter 1 and verse 8, about his spirit that he spoke of in John 14 and 15 and 16. He said, you shall receive power when? He said, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses. Did he say that? Go to Luke, the last book in Luke's gospel, chapter 24. And towards the end of that chapter, in verse 48 and 49... He said, to begin with, in verse 47, your mission, all of us as Christians, we have a common mission with regard to the lost and our message. He said, you go and preach repentance and the remission of sins, the blotting out of sins. That should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You're witnesses of these things. And behold, in order for you to do that properly, and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But until that promise comes to pass, tarry ye, wait in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with what? Power from on high. Let me ask you a question. Do we need power? Do you need power to live refreshed, you do. Everything out there in the world is against you. Jesus said it was. You need to be equipped and empowered to live in a way that is a testimony to the world that you have found something that they need. Now, the one who wrote Luke 6, 24, verse 40, 49, Luke wrote Acts also. And Luke 24, 48 and 49 is continued in the same thought in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 where it says, And you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. It said, And what will happen then when he does come upon you? A change, a wonderful dramatic change will take place which will enable you to witness to the whole world about the wonderful life that is in Christ. But you'll need that. That's why he said you wait until that happens. 
Don't just get saved and grab you a bunch of tracks and run to the world out there and try to get them all saved. You need to be empowered so you have some wisdom in all of this. God's direction and how to do what he wants you to do. You need that. And the Holy Spirit comes and he brings you that. Now, after he said that, go to the book of Acts, chapter 2, and verse 33. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 33, Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, that's Jesus' resurrection, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which you now see and hear. Not only did he said, I will come back, but he also said, I will send him back. And what you see is what he's doing. That's a wonderful picture. God's bigger than us, isn't he? All of this is about him. It's about Jesus. The worlds are created by him. In the beginning, God made heaven and earth. Hebrews said he made it all. It's just all about Jesus. It really is. And he goes on to say in verse 38 and 39, Repent ye and be baptized and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Does he say that? Don't believe what I'm saying this morning because I've said you search the scriptures like you should. Believe it because your Bible says it, not because a preacher said it. But he said in verse 38, he said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And in verse 39... For the promise. Now we got a promise. The promise is for the Jewish people. Who's the promise for? Well, let me read it for you because y'all don't have a Bible. He said, for the promise is unto you. Would that be the people that were there when he was talking to them? The Peter, James, and John, and the rest of them, all right? He was talking to them. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, would that be Shelby County? Maybe England or wherever you're all watching from this morning. Afar off, that's me. In spite of what some people think of how old I might be, I wasn't even born when this happened. <laughs> I wasn't even there. But I was included in what he said. As many as the Lord our God, didn't he say that at the end of it? As many as the Lord our God shall call. Now, is it not right then that a promise has been given to me concerning the Holy Spirit, who when he comes, he brings power and gives rest and refreshing? So the Spirit-filled life, as we like to say it, the life that the Spirit of God brings, the life that Jesus brings, the life that God gives is a life that enables us not only to survive, but to triumph, to overcome, to succeed, to endure to the end, to make it through, to have any help we need in time of need, to come boldly to the throne of grace. That's refreshing. These are some of the wonderful and good things that God gives to us. When did he do all this? When did all this begin? It began in chapter 2 and verse 4. 
people accuse us, this is all we ever talk about. You know, all you Pentecostals, I'm not a Pentecostal. I'm with them, but I'm not one of them. I agree with them and all of that. Or Baptist, everybody has truth. Everybody has truth. But what I believe, I believe because God showed it to me, not because somebody else said it first. He said, when the day of Pentecost fully come, he told him to tarry. Did he say tarry? Didn't he say tarry until the Spirit comes? Okay, they're all huddled around in, in the upper room. And the Bible said, suddenly there came a sound from heaven. It was the melodic hymns of angels begin to in the upper room. Remember that? They start hearing angels singing. In my heart there rings a melody. Is that what happened? Wouldn't that have been better? Come on now, that wouldn't scare people. Come on. What happened? Well, it got loud. Got noisy. There was a sound from heaven, like a mighty rushing wind. Now, don't leave if that happens here. Maybe the building had a little bit of a tremor to it. Don't leave. Don't leave. Something good's about to happen. They didn't know what was going to happen. It had never happened before. The closest thing you ever had to what happened on the day of Pentecost was a finger writing on the wall in a language nobody understood. In the Old Testament, had to be interpreted. On the day of Pentecost, a significant thing happened. Identifying what is meant by all that I'm talking about today. All the promise, all the good that can come is going to come this way. It's going to happen this way. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will come with power and he will give you rest. Are you sure you're getting this right? I believe I am. And the place where they were sitting, the wind was blowing, and there was uh, tongues of fire came down and set upon each one of them. And they began to speak in another language. Why? Because God ordained it that way. We can ask, well, I don't know, I wouldn't have done it that way, this way, I think. And the church has changed all this. That's not allowed in most churches. No, 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 no. We're not going to. No, that's out. We don't need to do that. That's not necessary. What difference? What good is it? The wisdom of man has altered it. I I heard a preacher preach a good message yesterday at a funeral. It was a good message. And he was referring in Romans chapter 1 how people have altered, set aside the word of God to have it their own way and brought doom on themselves while they're fundamentalists or whatever they are. Anti-tongues, anti-Holy Spirit stuff. And yet it's so clear in the Bible, you can't deny it. The church began, it started this way. It was on that memorable day on Pentecost. They began to speak in tongues, the Bible says, as the Spirit gave them utterance. The devil has so inspired people to be against that today. Well, it's just nothing but a bunch of gibberish, and people do that, won't pay their bills, and they beat their wives, and so forth. No, they don't. You could be a Catholic or a Baptist and do that. The devil does everything he can to keep this experience from God's people. He's been successful. 
Now, he lost you because you escaped it, most of you. But he said, this promise that I'm giving you is also his rest. Would you turn to 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 2? And while you're there, I'm going to read from another place in Isaiah. Listen to this. This is what Isaiah says way back then, way yonder before Pentecost. He said, for with stammering lips, Isaiah 28, he said, for with stammering lips and another tongue will I speak unto this people. Now, he not only spoke to his own, but he spoke to those in Jerusalem who were there for that festival day. Spoke in their own language. They understood it. But he said, with stammering lips and another tongue will I speak to this people. And then in the next verse, he said, to whom he said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing. But they would not receive it, and nothing has changed. What do you say in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 22? He said, in the law it is written. That's Isaiah 28. I just quoted it. In the law it is written that with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak to this people, and yet for all that they won't hear me, saith the Lord. They don't today any more than they did then. The devil is as much against any move of the spirit today as he was then. He talks everybody he can out of it. He wants to embarrass you. You're one of them kind of people. If he can. I think people think some of us go around all the time. Slobber comes out. I think they think we're like that. You're not like that, are you, Isaac? You sure? I won't ask Catherine. <laughs> All I'm saying is with as much intelligence that I can muster, depending on God for the right understanding of it, he said it, he forecast it, it came to pass, and he said it's a promise that's for those who are far off, and many as the Lord our God shall call. I want what happened then. Oh, you know, the church I grew up in, ooh, that's why I'm here. One of the reasons I'm here is because the church I grew up in would, ooh, I could no longer stay there with the freedom that I wanted to have and get in a war with my friends I'd known all my life. I had to leave so I wouldn't be a troublemaker. I'm not trying to make trouble. I'm trying to focus on who I'm focusing on so that he will be pleased with my life. You said, Lord, that you would send the Holy Spirit. Didn't he say that? He said he would send him. And he said, when he comes, he'll guide you into all truth because he'll focus on me. He'll take the things of mine and show it to you until I am the reason for you living. He'll do that. And he'll do it in a certain prescribed way. And he called it when it happened. He described it again in Isaiah. He said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. How many of y'all don't mind turning to Isaiah? 
Well, nobody said anything, so would you do it anyway then? Isaiah 28. If you got a little pencil or something you don't mind marking in your Bible that you paid a whole lot for, mark a little something there so if you're back there again, it'll jump off the page at you. Didn't he say in verse 11, for with stammering lips and another tongue will I speak to this people? Why? Because his people would believe it. These the, the stammering lips and his tongues, they were for a sign to those who wouldn't believe. It happened, you didn't believe it. Just like he said, I don't believe it. But those of us who believe it, well, yeah. I knew when this happened in my life, when I was filled with the Holy Spirit back in October of 1968, I knew from all the stories I'd heard from my mother and my pastor, I knew what was coming. And it came. You're rejected. You're viewed as inferior, foolish, a boat rocker, troublemaker. Why? Because I spoke in tongues. And yet I looked in the mirror, I'm the same person. My hair is still the same color. You know, I'm still the same height. We're still married. But what happens is that something on the inside got rooted a little bit deeper. There's a little bit more sincerity and honesty and integrity about what I profess to be that begin to take root in my life. I mean, you know, the, the Spirit of God jealously guards his people. And if you're his... He cares about you. And there's a life you're going to live. And if you're backing off, he's going to chastise you because you're going to live his life. God didn't call us to wander around and be members of a church and just die in it. He called us to live. Like Paul said, for me to live is Christ. He said in Philippians 3, I have one desire in my life, and that's to know him and the power of his resurrection. I want to experience while I'm still alive on this earth all the genuine goodness of, of heavenly power and love and might in my life. To live so that I take no thought. That's the refreshing. I take no thought. I worry about nothing anymore. I cast, I cast, all my cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for me. Y'all have heard that verse before, haven't you? First Peter 5, 8 9. Anyway, he cares for me. Well, look at Isaiah again. I've read it twice. Let me let you look at it. Concerning the day of Pentecost, the speaking in tongues, its purpose, and all of that, in verse 11, with stammering lips and another tongue, he will speak to this people to whom he said, this is the what? The rest. What do you mean it's the rest? Because, listen, when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, he becomes the enabler. He brings wisdom on how to face situations. He brings power to deal with things you can, quote, believe for. He brings to you remembrance the word that will work in this situation. He gives you rest. You don't have to strive anymore about it. You don't have to live weary and heavy laden. You don't have, no more. I found a new way of living. 
And when it happened, Paul wrote about it in the first Corinthians 14, the tongues chapter. He said, you know, in the law, it is written. Isaiah 28, you got it right here. In the law, it is written with men of other tongues. Will he speak to this people? And he said, yet they won't hear me. I guess because I've been a preacher for a long time. I think I've been in every denomination I can think of through the many years ago that I was going all the time. I think I've been in all different brands of churches, from the Church of Christ to the Christian Church, the Episcopals, the Catholic meeting once, the Churches of God, Nazarene. I think I've been in all of them. And yet, as I look around, as I begin to expand around and look at all the movements of people, I have found that overwhelmingly most people I've ever met did not want anything to do with this. And it's the one thing that Jesus brought to us. He said, I will send this. I will come to you. If he's the one who said, I will come to you and I will send this. And if you don't want it, then he doesn't come. Well, then how do you have church if he's not in it? Easy, just leave him out. Organize it to man's suitabilities. Make a lot of programs substitute for the Spirit. It happened for centuries. Man lost the baptism in the Holy Spirit, that Pentecostal experience, and he began to make his new rules. Paul spoke about it in his day. He said, if somebody comes to you and preaches another Christ, remember that, another Jesus? Or if you receive another spirit, have to be the spirit of a man. Oh, you think that's great because comfort and happiness and having it my way without challenges is what people want. And the Holy Spirit never comes without a challenge. You get baptized in the Holy Ghost, he'll never leave you alone. Unless you want to, what's that word, quench? Is there such a word in the Bible as quench? Extinguish, put out? The Holy Spirit? You don't want anything to do with that? You're afraid of what people will say about you? What decisions that, you know, how people will talk about you? Then leave it alone. If you don't want that, then he'll give you up to that. But nobody, folks, is going to make it into the doors of heaven without being totally changed. The challenges you're going to have to face, the wars you're going to have to fight, the Spirit of God will lead you right to them. Oh, he wouldn't do that. Who led Jesus to the wilderness to be tempted 40 days and 40 nights of the devil? Didn't the Bible say in Matthew 4 or Luke 4 that it was the Spirit of God who led Jesus into the wilderness to be tested of the devil? Well, don't think it's strange if the same thing happens to you. Peter said, think it not strange concerning the fiery trials which are to try you as though something strange has happened to you. Rejoice. You're a partaker of Christ. That's what he went through. You're being conformed. You're learning what he went through so that he becomes more who he is so that you can be like that. I don't know of a lot of people that believe like that. I don't. I hope all of you do. After nearly 34 years, I hope you do. But this is a life. It's not just church. It's a life. 
We're going somewhere. It's looming in the surface. The world's getting darker and darker and more and more wicked and more and more evil. And people are forsaking the true word more than ever before. Jesus said it would happen. He said only a few, didn't he? He sure did. Well, in closing, why the tongues? Why does it have to be that? It doesn't make sense. My pastor told me years ago, he said, it's nothing but a bunch of made-up gibberish. Little, 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 you know, mocking it that way. And so I thought, well, I don't want any part of that. I couldn't coach a basketball team going little, 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 little like that. Well, if I went in the room at halftime and said, little, 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 little in my basketball team, well, I don't want that. But I was deceived. I was misled. He had been misled. He finally got his thinking right. I got mine right. We both got filled with spirit. But then I look a little bit deeper. Why? Why tongues? What does tongues have to do with any of that? Well, follow me in closing. Jude, first chapter of Jude. Right before the first chapter of Revelation. Look at Jude, verse 20. Let's see if we can get something refreshing and, and built up here. Beloved, he said, building up yourselves. Does it say that in your Bible? Amen. Building up yourselves. Do you need that? Right. Would building yourself up refresh you? It would be a better outlook, wouldn't it? Because you got a better view of things. Edified, in other words. Building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Praying how? Praying in the Holy Ghost. One translation says praying spiritual prayers. How dense is that? You need only to look again in 1 Corinthians 14. In the very beginning, he said, if I speak in a tongue, it's my spirit that's praying. My understanding is unfruitful. I don't know what I'm talking about either. But I'm not trying to figure out what I'm talking about. I'm just trying to let the spirit have his way. And the more I depend on that, the more my faith is built up. It's something that God does. So praying in the Spirit is obviously praying in tongues. 1 Corinthians 14. And verse 2 and 4, if you want to look at them later. He that speaketh in a tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. Howbeit no man understands him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaks mysteries, divine secrets. Why would you do that? It's part of the communication process. The things that God is doing, I can't define. Because when I do what he says to do, he does something that shows up later. I have to trust that. How about prayer? If you talk about what the Spirit of God does, Romans chapter 8. There's a verse in Romans chapter 8 that says, Well, we know not how to pray about things as we should. Remember that? as we ought, but he said, but the Spirit of God helpeth our infirmities, for we know not how to pray as we ought. But he said, but he does this with groanings that cannot be uttered. It's the language and the voice and the way of the Holy Spirit. Oh, sure, I'd like to, in my thought of intelligence and define and understand, oh, yeah, I got all that figured out. I don't have that figured out yet, but I don't have to. This is part of the rest. I just do it, accept it, and then how it comes, let God 
bring the results. I don't have to try to make this work anymore. He said he would make it work. God causes all things to work together for good, doesn't he? You can't. You trust him that he will. You let him do it. Another verse in 1 Corinthians 14, he said, He that speaks in the tongue speaks not unto men, but unto God. No man understands him. So I'm not talking to the church. It's not something in the church. It's between me and God in my prayer life. What I'm saying is not to be interpreted. He that speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but unto God. I'm praying. But he goes on to say in verse 4 that I edify myself doing that. Well, why wouldn't I do it? And yet, if I'd ask you this morning, if I ask you folks here today, how many of you spend at least a moment of your day, some particular time, or occasionally during the day, do you pray in the Spirit? You might find that some of you said, I don't think I do. Then what good was it for any of this to happen? Is it not an open door to weariness and heavy laden? Have we not been given a release from all of this? You know, the word refreshing can be defined as revive. Revive, refreshed. Renewed. It's a spiritual thing. It's times, plural. It keeps happening. You pray in the Spirit throughout the day. Paul said, I thank God I speak in tongues more than y'all. That's Kentucky talk. More than y'all. And we read that, and it's, yeah, okay, good. And then we think, well, how about you? When the Spirit of God, when God begins to come down to that repentance moment again, he said, how about you? Why don't you do that? When God is right here and you're right here and he says, why don't you? You can't make an excuse. You can't say, well, this is how I feel. You can't say anything, but you're right. I'm wrong. I'm missing out on what God has for me. I'm not taking advantage of what he's already given. Oh, I had an experience. Somebody said 20 years ago, I was filled with the spirit and I spoke in tongues and hadn't spoke since. How do you edify yourself? How do you build yourself up on your most holy faith? How do you advance yourself to where you can please God with your testimony? How? So, well, I don't want to do that. You don't have to. But for those of you that want to, this is the way it works. Hebrews 11, and we'll close. Hebrews 11. Come unto me, Jesus said, all you that are weary and heavy laden. Did he say that? All of you that are weary and heavy laden. And he says, and I will give you rest. Could I define rest like this? He will give you a release from your ability to try to make it work and that he will cause it to work in your behalf. When you pray, you're praying for somebody to be healed. Can you heal them? Well, no. Can he heal him? Yes. So you pray, he does it. You can quit striving. He'll take care of it. He will take care of it. Now, Hebrews 11 and verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to what? Please God. If we don't believe it, all we got is church. I don't think religion has ever 
pleased God. Because when man does it his way, he doesn't do it God's way. He wants God to give him credit for it, but he won't. There is a way which seems right. There is a way which seems right unto whom? To man. But the end of man's ways, I don't care how glorious it sounds, it's death. We have to trust in the Lord and do things his way in the midst of all the criticism you get. But he that comes to God must what? This is the time of refreshing right here. He that comes to God must believe that he is who he said he was. And again, I hope you're not sitting in here all your life and forgetting who he said he was and what he said he can do and what he is able to do because he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. Who? God. He would do that for me? We said he would. If you believe. You mean he will take care of my son or my daughter or my tomorrow, my job. And I, Hey, he's already in your tomorrows. He's already there. He's here right now. Jesus said, we're two or more gathered. His presence was there. Didn't he? He's here. Cause we believe he's here, but he's here. If you're an unbeliever, he's here, whether you believe it or not, cause he said he would be here. And see, he that comes to God must believe that God is, and he must also believe what? Help me. That God is a rewarder. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, that's a choice I have to make. I can be glad I can quote the Bible and say, okay, good. I, I heard that. It doesn't mean it's working for you. It just means you quoted it. But if I believe it, if I believe it, and I live like it's true, I live like it's true, I rejoice in something I have not seen, calling those things that be not like Abraham did as though they are, being fully persuaded that if God said it, God will do it. Living like that. Do you think there's any rest in that? striving from your labors and your efforts to try to make something work because only God can make it work and you trust him. And you can lift your head up and you can begin to smile and worship God for the answers and thank him for the victory. You don't even see the victory yet, but he said he would bring it and you're believing him, so you start worshiping. He is a rewarder. He is a rewarder. Tell me something about refreshing and being revived and entering into my rest, as Hebrews speaks of. And add to that that God will reward us who diligently seek him, not once, but the rest of your life. Maybe you'll be able to say someday, all of my children have come to the Lord. They're all saved. Every bill is paid. Every need is met. Whatever he's promised, I have more than I could ever want or I'm... Whatever your victory is, been well and healthy for 45 years, maybe you can say that someday. You've been rewarded. God isn't, as he says in Hebrews 6, 
God is not so unrighteous to forget your labor of love and the love that you show to his saints. When you show your love to him by being faithful to him and trying hard in your desperate little teeny weeny mustard seed faith to do the little thing that you, I'm not much, you just do it. And God will bring it to pass. And it go from glory to glory to glory until at the end you can stand before him and he can look at you and say, well done. Thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of your Lord. You want that? So be it. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to bless to each of our hearts your word, the power of it, the might of it, the reality of it. You'd take away our struggles of understanding and open our eyes to see what you're saying. Cause our faith to wrap its arms around your word and say, I'll hold this to be a treasure and I will believe it. I would, God, that this whole assembly, those that are watching, those that are here, wherever anybody is, would have an experience of the reality of the presence of Jesus in their life. Not just a story that's told. Not just an idea that people have had, but a real life walk. Honoring Jesus. Trusting Jesus. Father, you've given us that. I believe we can do that. And I ask for this congregation, for all of those here, and Lord, and all of those who couldn't be here today, I ask in the name of Jesus that this life would settle into their hearts and become their testimony. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Would you stand to your feet? strength to me as I worship thee and my mouth is filled with praise Jesus breaks the bands as I
Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this day and for this moment. Help us to take advantage of moments like these, Lord, where we can reflect and think about what you've said to challenge ourselves whether or not we believe that. Lord, it's a long race that we're in. It's not a hundred-yard dash, and it's easy to get weary. But the plow we're gripped hits stumps and rocks occasionally. Lord, you know that. You know that. I pray that the continuous times of refreshing will come to these people and that this day they will let you speak to them. They will let you speak to them. That they'll have a heart of integrity. That they'll respond. Make a good decision today, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for all your goodness, Lord. In Jesus' name. All the people said, Amen. Amen. God is good, isn't he? Amen.